0: And it's also easy to visit com forward slash franchising and learn more about your big break at your very own You Break I Fix.
1: Now, welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown, the podcast that looks at the stats, XG, and performance of Celtic FC. The day that we all knew was coming has arrived. Rangers are the league champions. The tenor in a row is over and it was all thanks to a performance that we all knew too well against Dundee United in a nil-all draw. Juco James is with me, as always. We're missing Alan Morrison. He might arrive, he may not arrive. We are awaiting his presence, and if it doesn't turn up, sure, we'll carry on without him anyway. James, how are you?
2: I'm okay, given the circumstances.
1: Yeah, it's been a weird week, a week that we all knew was coming. We Knew in probably knew in November that this was going to happen, and at some stage. But at the same time, I was still found myself quite annoyed when it actually did happen because of the manner that it happened, because of that putrid draw against Dundee United in a performance that was
2: exactly like we have had all year round. I I was surprised at my response to um, I I had uh, basically come to grips with it intellectually, probably in October, actually, October, November, that time period, I was probably a little more skeptical earlier than a lot of people. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I had a more visceral emotional response than I thought I would. Um, and I think, th- I think to your, your point's a good one. I, you know, analytically when I, once I went back and I uh, kind of looked at the the game more closely that way, I think the performance was actually had a lot of things going for it. It was decent in some regards. Um, so I don't think it, I think it felt a lot worse than it was and that the result was a lot worse than the performance. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those situations. And then you add it into the, you add in the context of it being for the clinch uh, for the for the losing the league. Um, you know, so I, I, I definitely felt it more, I think as a result. And uh, coming out of the game was more, negative on the performance than i think it actually was so i i think that was kind of a common view yeah we'll get into that performance in just a little minute but
1: obviously rangers are the league champions now and i did a video of my usual monday agenda that came on tuesday because i was a little bit busy and i took a lot of stick from the rangers uh echelon off the youtube fan followers. Club? i actually surprisingly enough i actually have some regular Uh, Rangers fans that actually follow the YouTube channel it's it's quite a strange one but that's because you're so handsome well that that must be it it must be it it's the only logical reason but essentially they weren't very happy with me because I didn't give Rangers enough credit now this is this is a massive margin this is a this is a margin hopefully by the end of the year might be a little bit smaller but it it is a massive margin for the 10 in a row season you would have hoped that at least if Celtic went down they would have went down on their hands and knees dying for this title but that's not how it how it worked out a part of me does think that Celtic and the shambolic n- nature of the season is partly to blame for this but obviously you do have to give Rangers credit because they were functional they were well coached and at times especially in Europe because that's only really when I've seen them they have been quite good now you did a breakdown on your Twitter account which you also took a little bit of slack for but Essentially, with Rangers, because some people, most Celtic fans, don't really watch Rangers all that much, really, because number one, they don't want to; number two, sometimes they're on at the same time. So, what are we looking at with this Rangers team? How good actually were they?
2: So, I, I um, the way I, so the way I think about it is from an analytical perspective. Um, when you're talking about Celtic versus Rangers, if A significant chunk of both supporter groups are annoyed with you. You're probably pretty close to being right or in the neighborhood of being accurate or, you know, relatively effective in your analysis. So um, one of the things that I got a lot of heat for uh, coming out of last season was my analysis suggested that Rangers were a lot better than a 13 point margin and that a lot of the underlying uh, performance data suggested that it was actually quite close league. And, um, the relative contributors to, or factors as to why they dropped points. I think they dropped, um, what, oh boy, it was either 10 or 13 points, uh, post break last season, but their decline in underlying, uh, metrics weren't bad. They were, they were marginally lower than they had been pre-break. Um, Morels scored one goal on 46 shots after the winter break. I mean, that's just ridiculous. That's mm-hmm. a you know, a, a absurdly low conversion rate that's unsustainable. They had a clustering of injuries where they had had pretty good injury luck pr- before the winter break. Everyone got hurt then in January and February. Barisic, Davis, Jack, uh, even when and then Morales had a ban and even at the same time Defoe got hurt. So they, they had a clustering of, as I call it, negative variants that all hit at once that even though their underlying performance data was pretty good, it wasn't resilient enough to, to, to prevent from being overwhelmed by all of those factors. And the, the argument I made on, um, I think it was yesterday was basically that I, I think that the 20 point margin at, at present is a little wide, meaning that if you look at Rangers performance levels from mid December till present in the league, um, you know, they've had some pretty positive variance, meaning that, uh, I think they had eight games where their, um, XG differential was, was one or lower and they only dropped four points over that period. That's just statistically, if you do a, mm-hmm. you know, again, for the stats, dorks, the probability dorks, if you do a Monte Carlo simulation of that kind of margin and, and over eight games to only drop four points, that's. You know, you can call it good luck. You can call it just variance. You can call it whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, the, the, the Celtic Invincibles of 1617 17 um, had some good luck in there, too. They had, they had a game against Park Thistle where they easily could have dropped points or lost. And, and they ended up winning it. So, you know, that, that's, that's why they call it, that's football. Like, in, in a game or two, four, five, six, seven, eight, results can vary quite a bit from underlying performance. And that can be in a good way depending on your perspective, you know, if it's your team, a good way or in a, in a negative way. Um, so I think the, the majority of the issue this season was on Celtic side. I mean, it was the yeah. the decision-making on, it's on Celtic side. I mean, there, there's no way to argue that Rangers haven't played extremely well this year. Um, I just think it's probably not quite as good as probably the consensus. I mean, the non-Celtic supporter consensus whether it's in the yeah. media, the, kind of the general media, or certainly amongst uh, Rangers supporters. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. Because of Steven Gerrard,
1: the English media are going to jump all over this as well, and they're going to feed into the how good this Rangers side actually are. And look, apart from the underlying performance and the actual the data to back up what's going on in the pitch, the results stand for themselves. Right. Rangers haven't lost a game all year their goal difference compared to Celtic Celtic have scored 65 Rangers have scored 77 goals against Rangers have only conceded nine Celtic conceded 23 so far and the draws Rangers four draws to Celtics eight so
2: yeah ultimately that's uh, to to, to me the to me the benchmark and again to me this is a compliment to Rangers so you know maybe I'll get some hate hate from uh, fellow supporters for doing this but I don't think this season's Celtic version is a good benchmark Mm. because the gap is too far. It is too wide. So I've been running a a comparison analysis between this season's Rangers and the 16, 17 Celtic side um, because obviously Rangers have a potential to go undefeated Mm -hmm. uh, in the league. So, I mean, obviously there's difference in cut performances and cups, but uh, when we talk about purely the league, you know, they track relatively close except for that period. I mean, if you look at the kind of mid December up until now, um, Roger's side performed a good bit better than this Ranger side. Uh, when you look at XG differential now, is that the only thing that matters? No. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, McGregor has had a really good season domestically. Um, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, they've outperformed at the keeper position relative to, you know, kind of their post shot XG versus the goals that they've conceded. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons and, and I think, you know, they're a very good team. I actually, you know, I, I disagree that they're, they're, you know, functional or how other people have characterized it as you did earlier. I mean, they're a really good team. There's no way that you can do what they've done in Europe and have the record that they've had in qualifying in Europe, mm. at the group stages, knockout stages now, two consecutive seasons, and, you know, not to be a, a really good team. Yeah, uh, I
1: suppose functional seems like a bad phrase, but I mean that in the nicest possible way. Like, I mean, I, I would bite your hand off for a functional side.
2: Yeah, well, right. I suppose it's so, not going,
1: it's not It's not strong enough to describe. Yeah,
2: our, I, our I, I think the way I would characterize Rangers is that they have – um, they have a handful of really good players and then they have a, a lot of good players that are better in a system that suits them. And that that's across sports, right? I mean, if you're running uh, a certain strategy or a game plan in American football and it doesn't suit the quarterback, I mean, you don't want Tom Brady r- running an option RPO offense. That doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, so it, it, it. it System suit players, and you could have a system that makes players look better than they would in a different system. And I think mm-hmm. to to uh, Rangers credit, they've recruited well within the context of the system that they're running, and they use the players at, at their um, at their disposal in a way that generally puts them in a good position. So they get more out of what they have um, than I think, particularly this season than than Celtic have, where you know, as we've talked about for months now, there's been a lot of incoherence as far as putting people out of position. And, you know, with, with, uh, the game plan, as far as the, uh, the formation, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, you know, uh, the, the irony of all this is six months ago. Um, I took a lot of criticism for being glowingly f- flattering of Rangers relative to, to, uh, to, to, where I thought they were, uh, compared to Celtic and, and now, you know, uh, not glowing enough, but I, you know, like I said, I think usually when you're down the middle a little bit, that's that's probably closer to being the truth.
1: Yeah, and I, I really look forward to that comparison. Actually, obviously, there's a few variants between where Celtic are at compared to where that Rangers side were at the invincible season. But be interesting. We may we may as well do that as a as a special in the podcast in a few weeks as well, when we have nothing to talk about because the league's over now. But. The, <laughs> With the Scottish it. Cup end that we have the ah, Scottish well, Cup well, well that's it i am underestimating the quality of the what the Scottish Cup is going to bring us so let's get into the breakdown then of the game at the weekend the game that ended up with rangers being crowned champions and they'll all draw with dundee united you are saying that it was better than what
2: i seen well there, there i'm going to element... take some convincing yeah so it's it's a from a from a th- this is actually an excellent game I think to analyze for anyone that's looking to get started um you know it's not that I've you know I I have uh 25 years of history of analyzing things but uh not nearly as long uh relative to to football data so um you know, so take take my opinion with a grain of salt. Relative to that, it's not like I have a, a, a massive reservoir of wisdom in this regard. But to me, it intuitively makes a lot of sense as a good case study because you have a lot of nuance. So the 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 um, the, the xG differential, or the xG was about two point, I think two point two to two. Uh, I'm sorry, two point two to 0.2. So it was a wide margin. I mean, it was Celtic had I think 27 shots. Uh, Dundee only had five. Uh, so on the surface you could, and you know, possession was basically 70, 30. Um, so kind of t- statistically at the surface level, it looked like a controlled performance by Celtic and relatively bad luck, bad variance, or good keeper play from Seacrest or some mixture of, of all the above. Uh, I thought. Uh, and, and, you know, there was a lot more, you know, the, the formation back to a 4-2-3-1. Uh, it looked like Christie was at the right winger or inverted forward, however you want to call it. Um, you know, there was some good link-up play from him and, and uh, Kenny, which was nice. A lot of attacking play down the right, which hasn't been all that common. So I, I think there were a lot of positives similar to the first game under um, Kennedy's tenure, um the problem I had is that a lot of the negative problems with Brown playing in the midfield and the 4231 reemerged and it wasn't as obvious um just like the first game against Dundee and Tannadice early in the season there was a lot of similarity actually that game I think the the xG was like th- over 3 uh to to less than half for Dundee um Again, Seagrass had a big game and we, we scored that late goal with a, a jetty to, to pull it out one nil. But that game had the same characteristics in that there was a lot of transition space where Dundee's midfield had the ball wide open space. And if they were better, they could have carved us open. Mm. And, and I basically commented <laughs> uh, at the time. As part of why, you know, I was worried about Celtic, even though they hadn't really dropped much in the way of points at that point. Um, This week was even worse. So uh, the same kind of spaces were opening up. But I'll just use one stat to put this into perspective that I shared in my good, bad, the ugly thread. Um, They had 23 ball entries into our box in the game. Now, by itself, that, you know, what does that mean? How do you put that in context? Well, if you take the six group stage games this season in Europa League and average out those six games, uh, the opponents, meaning Sparta Prague, Lille, and Milan, they averaged 23 entries (laughs) in those six games. So we basically allowed a team of Dundee's level um, to have way too much threatening, attacking play, approaching our box in our final third, Uh, I think they had over 20 more passes than we've averaged in conceding to opponents in our final third. Um, So, you know, it's kind of been the long running narrative that I've had, which is these problems are manageable when you're playing a team of a certain level. Um, But, you know, you play a team like Sparta Prague, you get your throat ripped out. Mm -hmm. And that's what I saw again. It was kind of like a flashback to earlier in the season. Uh, where the transitions were just... I mean, there was one I some somewhere around the 27th minute, I think, where Brown was over near the touchline, wide, and um, he passed it back, and then Bain played a ball out, a terrible ball that got intercepted around midfield, and <laughs> McGregor and Brown both chased the ball. There was a, a quick ping pass, boom, boom, bypassed every... I mean, it was like, they were playing pinball around our, our defensive midfielders. And this is Dundee. I mean, Dundee United, I mean, and, and it ended up with a, a poorly executed cross to the back post that, uh, probably, uh, Welsh was out of position on two, and had it been a better cross with a better player, it would have been a clean header. I mean, it, mm-hmm. you know, so that that's the kind of sequence of play where we get, we've been giving them up regularly against poor level, poor level opponents when we have these issues where they don't do anything with it because they're not good enough. But as soon as we hit a certain tier of opponent, you know, we get ripped apart.
1: Yeah. And I think that was very evident in the second half, especially in the last, or when you got to about the 50th to the 75th odd minute, the game really died a death in the last 15 minutes. But there was a stage where, I was watching this, and the commentator obviously referred to the fact that Dundee were fighting. This was their game to get into the top six. They had to win this game. So this game made as much, uh, meant as much to Dundee as it did to Celtic, maybe even more. Yeah. And watching that period, I was thinking to myself, you would think that Celtic were the team that were fighting for their place in the top six of the SPFL because they were being torn to shreds. By two passes, that's all it takes to get right. past the Celtic game. And I think that that's the thing that we were, oh, we, we, we almost got past it in February when we started playing Sorrow in that position or playing and playing the Diamond was that two passes no longer took Celtic's team apart. But in this game, it was right literally one pass to the, to the winger, one pass into the inside, and they were basically two on two with the defense
2: yeah, and, and, and two on two with Welsh as part of that. And again, you know, he's not I or he's not Julian and that's no slight of him. It's just, he's not there yet. Um, so yeah, it it was, uh, you know, it it was a disappointing game for me relative to what I had hoped maybe we might see from Kennedy. Um, I, I got, uh, the move back to four, two, three, one. I, I don't, you know, I don't think that's necessarily bad inherently. Um, but let, I'll quiz you how, how many minutes has, or how many times or games do you think Soro has played in a four, two, three, one this season? Four,
1: two, three, one. Um, God, very few. I would say I would give it maybe three games Yeah, zero.
2: Oh, Jesus! <laughs> yeah. So wow. the first game he played, um, uh, Well, I guess you, you, so there was a four, four, one, one that we kind of went to with Lil in the second game that we kind of stuck with then in, in the first league game that, um, he started, uh, say, you know, depending on who you are, you might charitably turn that into a four, two, three, one, but then we went diamond with him and he only played in the diamond. Um, so I, you know, with, with his athleticism next to McGregor, I could see that, um, theoretically as not being and, and he played a lot of that kind of s- setup in, in Israel. Uh, he didn't play a lot of central you know six. He played a, with someone else um, pretty regularly in, in Israel. So uh, you know I, I'm not opposed to four two three one. it's just as I've, I started saying in July it's it's you know I use pretty severe language. I mean it, it, to me it was it's grossly incompetent analytically to play that system with Brown at this stage given his limitations. Mm. Um, And I I didn't see anything on in in this game that refuted that. Uh, And the fact that we went through everything that we've gone through this season and we still come back to that and make that same mistake again, to me was really disappointing relative to Kennedy's decision-making. Now, assuming that that's his decision, I mean, you know, again, the only reason I even raised that is because of the the comment from Brown about him basically picking his own. That Lawwell told him he can pick his own future. So, you know, I'm assuming Kennedy's picking the team. Uh, I I would hope that's the case. Mm. Uh, I don't I don't know why he wouldn't be, but uh, who knows at this point. Um, but yeah, you know, as I've I've said in recent weeks, not my perfect uh, idea, but if you're gonna play Brown, I think he needs that protection. And he needs to be central. And, um, uh, you know, we'll come back to it probably in, in uh, one of our segments. But yeah, it was not a good sit- setup for him. Um, I think their put- touches in the box were way above our season average conceded. So again, it was one of those situations where a better team easily could have scored. I mean, they could have scored a couple of goals. Yeah. Oh, um, Whereas, you know, a better team, It would have very likely have scored a couple of goals, if not worse. Mm. Yeah,
1: and that's a key issue here. And the midfield is such an important position. And I've brought it up all year as an example. But again, it's sort of there's a fresh example now of why this position is so important. And that's Liverpool. Look at the difference that one player, and that is Fabinho, going back into his normal position at centre defensive midfield does to the entire side. He completely transformed. That one thing that Liverpool have been winning on all season was that person in midfield, and he was able. He went in suddenly. Thiago was having the best game that he's had in a Liverpool shirt. The defense looked strong, solid. Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson are able to bomb forward again. The forwards Salah and Manny both scored. One player can make a difference, and in a good way and a bad way. And unfortunately for Celtic, it's been in a bad way pretty much all season let's get into the duffer of the week we'll go with the negative first we'll finish on a positive note for once duffer of the week i have a feeling i know who this is
2: yeah unfortunately for me it's going to be brown um so you know at this point well really his profile long term he he needs to offer such um value in his tackling his ball recovery his interceptions you know, really his defensive output, um, and, and keeping pressure on through counter pressing, that type of thing. Um, because he offers so little in ball progression and in creativity. Um, and this was a game and, and, you know, if he doesn't offer that, then there's just not much there. Uh, you know, it's, it's like Tom Rodgers, Rogic, you know, if, if he doesn't offer that creativity he doesn't really do much else. Mm. (laughs) So in games where he doesn't offer that creativity, a lot of people say, did he even play? Right. So uh, I think this game was an example of that for Brown in that, you know, I think he, uh, he he won less than 40% of his duels. Um, He had only three interceptions Uh, in a game where our box was bombarded. Right. I've already talked about that. Um, He had zero clearances uh so th- he, there just wasn't a lot there in production and you know he actually had a couple of decent long passes <laughs> which you know he he's he's apt to do on occasion but uh you know his ball progression wasn't there either which isn't again that's not surprising i wouldn't expect that um but within the context of this specific game it it wasn't there as, as normal um so yeah it, it it was a a game i think his forward pa- i think he completed, or I shouldn't say complete, he was accurate on just three of eight forward passes. And so he completed, he had three accurate four passes and turned the ball over 13 times. Mm. So I think that disparity sums up, you know, kind of the, <laughs> the the performance and why he's my duffer of the week. Yeah, and the, the impact, I, I would put Scott Brown in
1: there as well for a further reason of the impact on the rest of the midfield because I think Cal McGregor was a little bit more tentative getting forward than he has been in the diamond David Turnbull obviously notably taken off by John Kennedy and he looked pretty pissed off because of that so just because of the systematic difference it makes to the team I just don't think a future with Scott Brown starting every single game is one that I want to see for Celtic going forward positive notes
2: yeah yeah there, so I, there were actually you know uh I thought a, a handful of very good performances um I thought that uh, like I said and there was parts that were encouraging the Kenny link up with Christie I mentioned already um Elianusi uh got into some dangerous locations you know he's he's generally a good finisher uh he he led the team in as Alan would say total scoring contribution between his expected goals which I think was close to one. I mean, he, he, uh, his pre-shot, he only, he only had two of seven shots. So he had seven shots, which is a lot. Um, which I, again, for someone who's a good shooter, that's okay. Like I don't mind El and and six of those seven were from inside the box. So I don't mind him being aggressive and shooting that way from inside the box. So, you know, shooting's not all created equal. Seven Christie shots from 40 yards is not the same as, you know, seven Elianusi shots from inside, or six of the seven from inside the box. So um, I thought he was really good, but I'm going to give it to, uh, I shouldn't say really good. He had significant contributions that, that you know, were a positive. Um, I think the best performance after having looked at it a few times over the last few days was Ire. Um, and I think Iyer, because our box was being bombarded more than usual, uh, he had five clearances. Actually, I have written down here. Uh, so he had 10 interceptions. He recovered the ball 24 times, five clearances, won 21 of 28 duels, and he was accurate on eight of 10 long passes. So, you know, in, in a game where uh, we were trying to get the ball forward, uh, you know, his, his ball progressions, I think he combined for uh, 12. Uh, progressive passes and progressive runs uh, he was three he won all three of his dribble attempts so um he even had some xa from the center back position and he had two key passes so that you know from a center back that's pretty pretty good overall output mm-hmm. um and you know he, he did a really good job of uh covering I, I think that's the one thing his his pace really helps relative to um you know, a, a Welsh and a and a Brown playing uh, with some of that ball chasing that takes place.
1: Yeah, more and more, I'm just considering the future without Christopher Eyer at center back as well, and he's standing out to me as just a, a top class, top quality center back at the minute. And the fact that he's what he's twenty is he twenty two or twenty three? I think I he's I only twenty two. Yeah, I think he's twenty.
2: I'm not sure he's, about that, but. Yeah. The crazy thing to me is he's always played or, almost, you know, when he hasn't had his cameos at right back, he's played as a left sided center back, even though he's almost useless with his left foot. Yeah. Uh, which is amazing. Like I, I he, developmentally, I, I can't imagine how he'll uh, grow if he gets to play on the right side of mm. a, of a system. Um, the one part of his game that I just find amazing, almost from a, you would think at some point, I mean, cause he's, he's, played a lot of games now. Um, I don't think he's scored a single header from a corner, which given his oh. height is, and somebody can check me on that. I, I, if, it, if he's done it, it's maybe one. Um, I'm not even sure he's scored a header in open play either. I'll have to check, but how bad he is in attacking headers is pretty remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> but because yeah, he's good defensively in open play, in aerial duels that's the thing he's he's borderline dominant when when you know uh players are backing into him um you know with long balls and that kind of thing so it's just this nuance where he just has not been that great at at attacking uh uh corners that type of thing Mm. Um, yeah i i probably get a
1: bit of stick for this but i genuinely think liverpool could do worse than Get Chris Rhyer in their in their side right now when they count for cheap because if Nat Phillips, who was going to sign for Celtic anyway, is good enough to start for Liverpool, then the p- p- current per- person who has European experience playing for Celtic and is vastly better than Nat Phillips, is surely good enough.
2: Yeah, and that's um, I, I think the issue there to me he would almost and I'm not equating the two players obviously um from a level perspective, but to me he would be a number two for um. Van Dyke, yeah, it's the
1: that, same. It's the same style of footballer.
2: It, yeah, ball player dribbling yeah. out. uh You know, he's. I don't think he's anywhere near as good of a passer as Van Dyke, um, but he's probably a, maybe a little bit better of a dribbler. I mean, that's. It's probably more of a toss up in the, in that respect. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think you know we're into this quandary now of um, price. <laughs> um I think I think it was in September. There were reports that Milan tried to get him for a loan with an option to buy at $15 million. That, that sticks in my head. Yeah. Um, so I, I think given where the market's going, are likely to go, You know, I think we might be disappointed with how much we get for him, given how good he is and probably what his upside's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I yeah, think- I, I agree. He's, he's going to be... A, a massive loss mm-hmm. if, if it lo- as it looks like he he departs this summer. Yeah, I think Celtic are going to get shafted
1: right, left, and centre for their transfers this year, or their transfers over the next couple of years because of the weak bargaining position that they're in at the minute. I, I, I want to give a shout out to John Joe Kenny, who I thought was excellent um, in the first half at least, and quite good in the second half. If he could cross the ball, he'd be an excellent, but uh, an excellent right back, but such as life at Celtic. Do you have a stat of the day?
2: Uh I the, the seven shots for El Unissi was again, I, I think um that that's encouraging to me. Um having as as I mentioned last week about uh Edward being on the ball so much, even though he didn't, you know, necessarily have a lot of production from it. Um, th- this is in the same vein, meaning that this is why I get encouraged that we're Potentially. I mean, it's almost irrelevant right now, but um, because of the league being over, but we're, we're so close to having uh, a coherent system if we just put the right players in um, and see how, what that looked like. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, again, it's, it's remarkable that we've had so few games this season where we've had a coherent system with coherent selection and in those games, we performed at a level like we did last year, last season. Uh, so I, it's just so infuriating to me that even now, and this is why, again, I was a bit disgruntled <laughs> after the game uh, relative to, to Kennedy, because I kind of had this reservoir of hope that you know maybe um, he, he would address those two issues. Um, so yeah, th- those seven shots, six of them in the box close to one in, uh, in total XG uh, which again even XG per, per shot is is good you know up over right around uh, 0.15 is is a good a good average and I, I thought he had the, the best scoring opportunity I mean again, I think it's hard to come out of that game. I, I think our post shot XG was close to three. Uh, so C- C- Segrist can and I did this in my pregame game uh, performance benchmarking thread on Twitter is you know he's shown that ability. Uh, to win games, uh, even at his time at Dundee, where, mm-hmm. you know, a team can bombard. I think he's faced the most shots in the, in the league. Uh, on quality shots. Uh, so that, that back post header from a Christy Cross that Elianisi misplayed, he, he did not do a good job on that one. I think that was probably the best chance at us scoring because Seacrest was caught towards the front post and he wasn't getting back. Like it was, you know, I don't think he humanly was possible. He was going to get to the back post. Um, so again, right position, good cross, good phase of play, just didn't quite come through.
1: Fair enough. And the result of that game was nil, nil. And what, what, what is kind of funny before I wrap up, you pronounce Edward the same way that, the google team sheet is telling me it is spelt so i'm I'm looking at the starting lineup and they have spelled it edward edward, edward. did i say edward no but you okay. the Edouard, the accent Edouard. is like
2: edward edward you know what uh my, my daughter who's um soon to be 16 Uh, just got inducted into some kind of national language honor society in her high school for Spanish, but I just sat through a one hour zoom call that included French, a bunch of people speaking French. I know I, you know, I'm your prototypical dumb American. Mm -hmm. I barely speak one language. Um, so, uh, my, my, my French is worse than, than my Spanish, which is not even present. So. And I'm married to a Peruvian who's fluent in four languages. So I have no excuse. Well, there we go. This was the huddle breakdown.
1: Alan Martin couldn't make it. He had texted text to say he wasn't feeling well. So it was just you're, you're stuck with the Brady Bunch. Is that what you would call us at, at this the, point? the
2: Brady Bunch? Why? I, I, can I be Jan?
1: Sure, I don't even know what the Brady Bunch. Uh, so you're are. too you're too young. young. I, you're, I know you that. not even a remember reference.
2: the football to the broken nose scene. I know that it's a. I know that it's a a, a reference, but I, I've never seen it. So uh, there's way too many of them. Yeah, that that that's we're we're more the odd couple. How's that? Uh, we'll we'll take, go back even further to the late '60s.
1: We'll take that. If you want to label me and James something, you can get us on Twitter at Huddle Breakdown, or you can subscribe to us on YouTube as well. The call within the call is where you can get. The podcast if you'd rather watch it rather than listening to it and you can subscribe to the podcast everywhere you get it as well we'll be back again next time with another huddle breakdown we might do a little bit more general ones now because the league is over so we'll figure it out over the next couple of weeks thanks for listening we'll chat to you later
0: Another bright summer day bringing lots of fresh fun But hanging with pals calls for more than just sun Some hell of a good dip, real milk and real cream Shows the posse who's the bossy, it tastes like a dream Pass around that dip, Pass the dip. Show you know what to do with that chip Just like old times, only way more live Prove that your flavor side just won't quit Share the dip that starts with real milk and cream, not from oils or water Not just good
2: Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic. Our first system that detects snoring then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. And now during the Tempur-Pedic Summer of Sleep, all Tempur-Pedic mattresses are on sale with savings up to $500 on adjustable sets. Get your best sleep all night, every night. Learn more at tempurpedic.com.